The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. There's no decision. You are you are lining up and going for this. You know, on perhaps the last play of the third quarter, and you're down 25 points. You're Vandenberg will keep, and he will score. Touchdown, Iowa. An impressive drive for the Hawkeyes, capped off by the keeper. They had it for over five minutes. They take it 59 yards and a dozen plays to score. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeyes star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's loss at Northwestern, and he previews the upcoming game against the Indiana Hoosiers. This program also features the weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbinad and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeyes Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Brent Balbinad's Press Box Report and both of the reporters' notebook shows. The Iowa Northwestern game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Mowens and Joey Galloway. Iowa fans hope they don't do another Hawkeye game this season. Nevertheless, we very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeyes Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's Big Ten loss at Northwestern, and he previews the Indiana game. Marvin, a game that was more lopsided than the score indicates, Northwestern in its homecoming game beat Iowa at six of the last eight for the Wildcats in their 10-6 and six versus the Hawkeyes since 1995. Yeah, and uh, you know, I guess a little shocked at the uh, how well Northwestern played and executed versus the way Iowa uh, was able to go out and execute. I mean, I Obviously, you know, the quarterback had made some comments that their offense didn't have an identity, and unfortunately for us, they developed it, um, or they, they did find it Saturday against the Hawks. I mean, that, you know, that spread to run the football. When you get a quarterback that runs for 160 or 170 yards, and that's, you got serious issues in the inside, and you know, hats off to Northwestern to be able to, to do that against our defense. Iowa's now lost its last two games by a combined score of 66-31. to 31. That's the worst back-to-back losses since 2007. And in the Penn State game, the Nittany Lions beat up on Iowa defense via its passing game in the Northwestern contest, they slashed them on the ground. Yeah, and, and like I said, I mean, you know, the one thing the one thing that good coaching staff can do if they have a great game plan, if they really got a good idea on how to attack you, they can make you look sluggish, they can make you look, you know, out of position at times, and it's because of the sequencing that they're putting together or the combination of plays that they're utilizing, and, and I think I think that's ultimately what happened. I think Northwestern is a very, very bright coaching staff. They know how to defend the zone run. You know, a lot of times they put someone right over the center 
center and they just slice hard and they can't double team the nose when he's going like that. Uh, and they create penetration and then you take away the cutback. And I mean, just a lot of different things. I thought Northwestern executed extremely well. And then obviously offensively, you know, for them to be able to, to rush the ball so effectively and then that set up their play action down the field to, to score a touchdown late, I think, before the first half or to make it 28-3. to But, uh, you know, complete, in my opinion, the first three quarters or two and a half quarters were we couldn't have scripted it any better if you were Northwestern. Some people are getting into the debate a bit more than in the past about the game plans versus execution. I mean, clearly there were execution issues Saturday for Iowa, both offensively but especially defensively. But talk a bit about the offensive game plan, still pretty conservative, and the defensive game plan. I think you can make a case that something was screwed up there because Iowa, once it moved away from its base defense and personnel late in that game, the last 20, 25 minutes, and moved to more dime and nickel uh, packages, they seem to do a bit better job holding Northwestern in check. Yeah, but a part of that is, too, when you're, when you're up 28-3 to and it's late in the third quarter, the one thing you're going to do defensively is you're going you're gonna to just give a tie. You're going to give them the underneath stuff and not get beat over the top, over the top, over the top. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what they did. Is that, you know, Iowa was able to score, make it 28-10, to but they literally probably took six minutes off the clock. You know, and then the next possession, similar situation where they, you know, moved down the field and, and um, you know, but was burning a ton of time on the clock. And it, it almost became a situation late in the third quarter that, you know, Iowa was going to have to score on all three possessions, otherwise they weren't going to win. And that's kind of where we got to at the end, you know, as we needed a field goal or a touchdown there at the end and an onside kick with, you know, a minute 10 to go in order to even have a chance to win the game. And just, I like the play calling. I just think you shouldn't be snapping it with four or five seconds on the clock when you're down 28 to three, you know, midway through the third quarter. I mean, we need to be up on the ball. We need to be running the same zone and stuff. But if you can snap the ball at 15 seconds on the play clock, now you're just saving 12 snaps, 12 seconds a snap, you know, and that, and that adds up. I mean, that ends up being another full another possession, you know, when you're talking late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was puzzling. I mean, you wonder why they weren't in the hurry-up offense, A, sooner, and B, how you can be in a hurry-up offense and have a delay of game penalties called up. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think a lot of that's Northwestern. A lot of that, the offense is, is predicated on what the defense is doing. And if they get a, give you one front coverage, you're going to go to this play. And if they give you another, you're going to go to this play. And I think a lot of times Northwestern's pretty good about disguising that stuff. And then when we do change out, you know, that then that's an extra five seconds, and if the play's not in there quick enough, we're not on line of scrimmage quick enough, then that ultimately causes problems. You know, a couple of them, in my opinion, were, you know, we had a third down or fourth down, and, and three or four, it looks like we're going to go for it, and we get these penalties, and then we're, you know, almost forced to punt, you know, from a statistical standpoint, because the conversion of fourth down and long is not as good as fourth and two or three, so, you know, obviously uh, something that, that, from a game operation standpoint, is going to need to be cleaned up, you know, whether that's on the quarterback or coordinator, I, I don't know, but uh, obviously, you know, those are things that you, you, you don't want to have happen, especially in close games. You're eight games into the season. The offense showed some improvement, at least statistically, and Vandenberg, relatively speaking, played better than he has in several other games. But ultimately, Iowa still only scored 17 points and had 336 yards in total offense against a Northwestern team that had been giving up an average of 401 yards per game and statistically had the worst uh, pass defense in the conference. Yeah, and that's where, in my opinion, statistics aren't relevant just because, like I said, a lot of what Iowa was getting from a drive standpoint was was when it was 28 to three and, and basically at that point Northwestern says we're not going to give up the 50 play you know 50 yard play and they were giving us a lot of the running stuff and, and letting the clock chew up so you know a lot of those statistics you know 
yardage and all that stuff, in my opinion, you can throw out the window because it was purely based on the way Northwestern was kind of just working the clock and, and trying to keep, you know, the drives to just make sure we were taking way more time than we needed to to get back into the game. So, But I, I, I thought Vandenberg did play well. I, I still think there's way too many drops. I mean, we've got to clean a lot of things up, and, and it's just not as effective as it, as it needs to be. And it's, you can tell that there's just no continuity, and, and nothing looks easy. The ball, You know, when you have a, a fluid passing game, it should look really fluid and easy, and the ball should be out and caught and turned up. And it seems to me that just everything is too hard. Um, um, you know, I mean, look, a lot of those, you know, those skinny posts that he was banging in there to Keenan Davis, he puts it on his hand, and as he's going to get it in, the Northwestern guy's on his back, and you know whether he knocks it out or not. That's those are those are things as a as a, as a you know college you know big time receiver, you got to make those plays in traffic. It seems like we keep talking about some of these same things every week, but it's because they keep occurring. And again, Saturday, much of Iowa's passing game was throwing the ball a long ways, 30, 35, 40 yards into the flat or out in the perimeter for gains of three or four yards. They had 23 perimeter passes against Northwestern versus 15 in the middle of the field. Yeah, and that's where you know that's where you need a good slot receiver or the tight end's got to be more of a factor. And just you know, like I said, we just haven't seen that development yet with, with that personnel. I mean, Martin Manley kind of was that guy last year in the slot when we had McNutt on the outside. And, you know, I just, you know, he needs someone either di- very dynamic in there, very elusive and quick, or you need a tight end that's very, very uh, crafty as far as knowing where the soft spots are in those zones. And, you know, either we're not looking for it or it's not part of the game plan or, or they got it covered up. But, you know, I mean, that's, you want to be, you, you want to be completely diverse with, you know, one, where you're throwing the ball, when you're throwing it, all those different things, who's catching the ball. And, um, you know, I mean, we saw, I saw names in there of guys that I hadn't heard all season long, you know, the receiver court times, you know, and it's, it's amazing. I don't know if there's injuries or what, if they're still searching to see who the guy's going to be, but there's just no continuity to the passing game right now, in my opinion. And Martin Manley did lead the team in seven catches for 46 yards, but baffling again, you just talked about it, only three passes to the tight ends against Northwestern. Yeah, you know, and in seven catches, did you say 47 yards? Seven catches for 46 yards. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, those are tight end numbers, in my opinion, you know, I mean, that's not a receiver number. So, but you know, you got to take your half to Northwestern. I mean, they, they play on the other side. I mean, they, they were starting two new corners. I think that both their starting corners were out. You know, that's something you'd like to see us go to work on a little bit. But, you know, hats off to, like I said, at the end of the day, hats off to Northwestern for, you know, really kind of finding the right uh, schemes to really to, to minimize what Iowa was trying to do. Uh, for the fourth time again this year, Iowa had no turnovers. That's a plus. But the start of the second half kind of dictated the result in this game to some degree because any chance of Iowa coming back was pretty much wiped out, even though they did make a bit of a comeback later in the fourth quarter. In the first five minutes of that second half, Iowa started it by going three and out. They had drop passes. Then they had the blocked punt. There were two Northwestern touchdowns. Well, then they were marching for a third, and then they had the bad snap that, that Iowa then got on, and then I think pr- pr- proceeded to drive down the field that next position, score to make it 28-10 to 10 or whatever or whatever it was at that time. But, I mean, it was, yeah, the third quarter, the start of the third quarter was not very good. And you take away that, that snap over the quarterback's head when they were on the five-yard line going in, I mean, it was it was getting ugly, uh, and it would have got ugly if, if they'd have been able to punch that one in. What would you think of Micah Hyde catching Venrick Mark from behind on that 72-yard run? That was amazing. Yeah, you know, I'd seen Northwestern run that play multiple times and had a lot of success with it, and, uh, you know, he'd, he'd outrun everybody up until that point, and, and I was pretty impressed with Micah Hyde. Now, you know, that's one of those things where if you got a big jumble trial in the end zone, I think he weaves a little bit more, you know, and tries to create, you know, some, some indecision in, in Micah Hyde as he comes to get him, but when he just went in a straight line, and Micah Hyde, you know, ran him down, which is which was a great thing. Pat Fitzgerald said after the game that he suspects Hyde's stock with the NFL just went up on that play. Yeah, because that, that does tell me that he's got some speed. Because like I said, I, I've seen that play by Northwestern.
or four or five times, and, and most of those times it's gone for a touchdown. I think one of them was against Nebraska, uh, where they ran that little inside zone, and they read the outside backer, and, and if he stays outside, they just pop it up inside. That's what happened. Talked in last week's show about some interesting James Morris quotes, and he had some more things to say after last Saturday, including that the fact that the tackling was bad, that a lot of the defenders were out of position, and that several of them apparently weren't understanding their responsibility in, in the call defensive scheme. Can you talk about how you could best develop a defensive game plan against the kind of offense that Northwestern is running and certainly ran against Iowa last week? Well, one, you, you, have, to, you have to understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to spread you out to run, okay? And you, you have to take away the run and try to make a guy like this Coulter beat you with his arm, you know, which I'm not necessarily convinced. I mean, he made a couple good throws, but I think if you repeatedly make him make great throw after great throw with, with somewhat relatively tight coverage, it's a tougher game for him. Uh, but when they were able to run the ball effectively, uh, you know, that forced us to keep, you know, seven, eight guys down in the box. And then now he's able to get one-on-ones on the outside. Those are a lot easier throws. So the fact that we were able to, to we struggled to stop the run, I think is ultimately what hurt us in the past defense and, and caused problems there. You know, but, th- but that's where you get a guy like the quarterback that we saw. I mean, you know he can beat you running, so you got to stop it. It's the old Antoine Randall when we played him. Well, we knew he could run the ball, and we needed to stop that. But then, you know, when he can throw the ball, then you got massive problems. So, so I think that's a lot of it is, is we just weren't able to stop the run effectively, so we tried some things from a coverage standpoint. And, you know, we are a pretty basic defense. I mean, we are what we are, and we, we do what we do, and we've always been pretty good about it. But right now, we may be finding out that we don't have the personnel to match up across the board, whether it's the safeties on the slot receivers or it's the backers on the backs or slot receivers. Uh, but, you know, it looks to me that, you know, between trying to play the run and getting out into the pass stuff, we just we, we weren't able to do it. Here's a footnote to that game. I thought it was odd that for the only team in the FBS that has had the same quarterback take every snap the entire season, Iowa's travel squad, which of course is limited by NCAA rule, included five quarterbacks. In addition to Vandenberg, they had Rudock, who's listed number two, and of course John Winky, who punts. But they also took along two more. That, does that seem odd to you? Um, you know, a lot of times it depends. You know, a lot of times it's based on if a kid comes from an area. You know, they may have taken a kid that came from an area in Chicago. So, you know, a lot of times the, the, the end of the rosters can be, you know, tinkered with just to accommodate a kid and his family and get, get into this, to an area where you can see his family. So it's still it's still odd that we haven't really seen anybody get any other snaps in any parts of these games. But, but that's you know, that's kind of the way it's been for a long time. Though. I mean, that's the way, you know, it's even I remember when Stansy was the guy playing and we were like, Vandenberg's not getting any reps, but and then he was forced into action. And, you know, to his credit, he was he was coached well enough to, 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 to manage and, and manage the offense when that did when that time did come. And it's kind of assuming that that's what the situation is at Iowa, that the guy, the number two and the number three, are actually getting reps in practice with the ones periodically and, and will be ready if and when that ever the need, need arises. Turning the page to this coming Saturday's game, Iowa now stands 4-4. Four and four. They're 2-2 two and two in the Big Ten. They're fighting to avoid falling below 500 for the first time since 2000. And seven, and they go to an Indiana team that's coming off of a game against Illinois. They're on a bit of a high. Uh, they broke a long losing streak in beating the Illini in Champaign, and they have an explosive offense again. Well, and, and, and that, that coaching staff came up from Oklahoma, and those guys obviously know what they're doing offensively, and, and they're starting to piece in the guys they need. I think they got some really skilled and athletic guys on the outside. I think this. I, I remember hearing a preseason comment that they felt like this is the most athletic they've ever been and, and they got a trigger guy that, that seems to be comfortable with the system and you know you gotta go back and look and say okay Ohio State's ranked as in the top 
top ten right now. They're undefeated. They played some ugly games, but they've won them all. And Indiana's probably, the, you know, with the exception of Purdue, has been the two teams that have given them the most fits. And Indiana, you know, actually had them down, I think, late. And, and Ohio State came back and ended up being like a 51-48 type game. But to score 48 against Ohio State's defense tells you something that they are pretty talented. So, you know, it's, you know, Bloomington's a unique little community. It's a, it's a, it's a tougher road trip. you got to bust quite a bit of ways in there a little bit. And, you know, it's a, it's a not a very big stadium. I mean, the good thing is usually there's a lot more Iowa, not not necessarily a lot more Iowa fans, but there's a great usually showing of the Iowa fans in that stadium, and um, uh, it's so it's not easy. And it's you know you get you, you're right, you're going to have an Indiana team that's very very motivated, uh, that's looking to continue to, to break strings and, and and to break up traditions that you know that they haven't beat Iowa or whatever, and and you know you don't have to look very far because a couple of years ago I think they were in Kinnick and a one drop pass away from beating the Hawks at that time. So it's going to be it's going to be a unique game, and you know I think our defense is going to be massively tested in this situation. I think the weather may have a lot to do with the, the game, which, you know, weather like that would obviously, if you get bad weather, it obviously face, uh, favor the Hawkeyes with their running style versus Indiana's passing style. After the Big Ten update, Marv previews Indiana, discusses the importance of competition and practice, and more. Colton goes up top, but it's intercepted. B.J. Lowry with the pick as Coulter overthrew his intended target. You give Lowry a lot of credit. That was the same formation that Northwestern scored last week with the 80-yard run by Benrick Mark, the two-back split situation. The cornerback stays back. Offenses will build upon their success from the week before. They scored the running touchdown last week. This week they fake the run and try to get the receiver downfield. Really nice play by the corner picking the ball off. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. <laughs> In our Big Ten update, last week's conference game results weren't as surprising as the margins and ease of victory. Not only did Northwestern run over Iowa and kept itself in the Legends division hunt, Ohio State dispatched Penn State in Happy Valley with ease, and Nebraska manhandled Michigan and Lincoln, a task made even easier once Wolverines quarterback Denard Robinson was knocked out of the game in the second quarter. Perhaps the biggest surprise of the weekend was Wisconsin losing at home to Michigan State in overtime, where the the Spartans held the Badgers to only 20 yards rushing on the day and minus one yard rushing in overtime. Had Wisconsin won that game, the leaders' division race would essentially be over. Nebraska's win gave the Big Ten three bowl-eligible teams, but the more important thing is what it does, and all of those games did, to the division races. Wisconsin still has the inside track in the leaders' division since both Ohio State and Penn State are ineligible. However, with their home loss last Saturday, coupled with Indiana's road win at Illinois, the Badgers left the door open a very slight crack for the Hoosiers. If Indiana can beat Iowa in Bloomington Saturday, Wisconsin has to travel there later, which would set up a key game to determine the division's representative in the conference title contest. However, both teams have tough games remaining on their schedules, so nothing is certain right now. Things are more complicated in the Legends division. Iowa has played itself out of any realistic chance there, but it can definitely play the role of spoiler if it can begin to generate 
generate any offensive consistency. The Hawkeyes have a game at Michigan, and they play host in the regular season finale to Nebraska. Hawkeye wins in either or both of those games, no matter how unlikely, would have significant influence over the Legends winner. Currently, Nebraska and Michigan are tied for the division lead with three and one records, and Northwestern is right behind at three and two. The pivotal game in the conference this week is Nebraska at Michigan State. The Cornhuskers have struggled on the road ever since joining the Big Ten and especially in defending the running game, and the Spartans demonstrated once again last Saturday just how good their defense is and the strength of their offense, such as it is, is running the ball. There are two trophy games on Saturday. Minnesota plays host to Michigan in their annual battle for the Little Brown Jug, while Ohio State hosts the hapless Illini with the winner getting the Illibuck. While Ohio State remains undefeated at 9-0, as well as ineligible, it is clearly the best team in the Big Ten, a fact reflected in the national polls once again this week. The AP still lists the Buckeyes and has them sixth in the nation. It also has Nebraska ranked 21st. The Cornhuskers are the only conference team in the other three polls, 21st USA Today coaches, 21st in the Harris Poll, and 20th in the BCS rankings. Big Ten rankings in the NCAA of interest to Iowa fans this week include Anthony Hitchens is now 4th and James Morris 25th in tackles per game. Mike Meyer sits at 6th in field goals per game. Iowa is 24th in pass defense and 30th in scoring defense. And the Hawkeyes are 13th in turnover margin, where they are also tied with Penn State for the Big Ten lead. Indiana is 28th in passing offense. And broadcast school has really paid off. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the News and Events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times, and listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinot and Brommel Camp Show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. Next, Marv Cook previews Indiana and more. Indiana in snapping that five-game losing streak at Illinois. You talked about the fact that their four of their losses have been by a combined total of 10 points, and then you mentioned the shootout against Ohio State. They're coming into this game. It's the first time they're actually favored in a Big Ten contest since 2007. Is that right? I actually heard it started that way, and I wasn't sure if it stayed that way, but that's, uh, wow, that's uh, a unique statistic. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just it tells you where we need to get. I mean, we need, in my opinion, the Hawks need to uh, understand where 
share the perception of where they are right now and, and understand that they still have, you know, people like me who still think that from a talent standpoint, there's a lot of talent on this team. And it's just a matter of everybody getting on the same page and, and doing, uh, you know, working working extremely well together. So, you know, that's that's where I still stand. I think it's a great team. They're still 4-4. Four four. They have a chance to, to, uh, to finish up here, hopefully, you know, uh, with, you know, four Big Ten games left for a chance to, to go eight and four. But, um, you know, they've got to find a way over the next week or two to get better and ready for Michigan and uh, Nebraska at the end of the schedule. So, you know, I'm a Big Ten guy, so I always look at the Big Ten games as, you know, this is every bit as big as an Ohio State or Michigan game. It's a chance to win a Big Ten contest, and, and that's that's what's ahead of them right now. I'm going to read some interesting facts to you here in a moment. but what, And what really makes these even more interesting is, is the fact that their starting quarterback, at least at the beginning of the season, Trey Roberson, broke his leg in the second game. Since then, they've been rotating a sophomore and a true freshman quarterback with some mixed results. That makes these really impressive. Indiana has had eight touchdown drives that lasted less than 60 seconds. They've had 15 touchdown drives under 90 seconds, and nine of those were drives of 70 yards or more with six or fewer plays. They've had 11 TD drives of five plays or fewer, and on average for the season, they're running a play every 21 seconds. And 24 of their last 29 scoring drives, which included 19 touchdowns and 31 overall, 24 TDs, have taken less than three minutes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a defensive coordinator's nightmare. You know, the one thing this coach does has done, though, is, is he's made this a quarterback-friendly offense. And, and when he first came in, he actually landed uh, a top Indiana recruit named Gunnar Keel, who then decommitted, actually committed to LSU, and then decommitted from LSU, and actually now at Notre Dame. And I know they really like him as a talented guy, but obviously quarterbacks want to play in this type of system. Receivers want to play in this type of system. And I think that's exactly where this staff wants to be and that the kind of players that they want to have. You know, the only problem with having a system like this is, you know, you can get in the Indiana State, I mean, it can get pretty brief. You know, it can get pretty nasty weather-wise. And if you're going to plan on throwing the ball 40, 45 times and have a lot of success throwing, you're going to need some decent weather. So uh, that's the one downside of having a system like this in the Big Ten. So, you know, it'll be, obviously, Coach Parker will be locked in and, and understand what the tasks are ahead. But um, ultimately, you know, the coaches want to put the players in position to be successful. But ultimately, the players got to make the plays. And, um, you know, there's that's where we're at right now. we got to find ways to, to win football games and to make enough plays to, to win. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, the one thing that, and I've been in football a long time, and, and you know, losing teams will always sit in the locker room or the, the, the film room the next day and say, well, it's just these four or five plays, these four or five plays. And you never know when those four or five plays are going to be. you got 60-plus on offense, 60-plus on defense, plus about you know 25 on special teams. And you never know when those four plays are going to be. But the, the teams that aren't winning will always look and say, well, we had those four plays or five plays or whatever it is that cost the game. And that's, and that's the difference between winning and losing. And, and so, you know, you've got to find ways to, to make every play count, every snap count, because you never know if it's going to be the one that, that makes the difference in the game. And, and right now, we're not making enough plays to, to get those victories. You would assume that Phil Parker might be having some sleepless nights this week after the last two games, where his defense really got hurt by that hurry-up attack from Penn State and Northwestern. And now, of course, they're facing this kind of an offense at Indiana. On the flip side of the coin, though, Indiana has some significant struggles defensively. They're 93rd in the nation and total defense are giving up an average of 438 yards per game. Although against Illinois, they had seven sacks and 12 tackles for loss and two fumble recoveries. But you'd like to think that if there was another opportunity for Iowa's offense to begin to gel, 
well, it might be against this kind of a defense. Exactly. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is a, it fits into what Iowa wants to do. And ultimately, it's just, I mean, we just, we, we need to find, you know, some consistency in the passing game. And, and you know, that comes, I'm telling you, that comes from within. You can work on, you know, 18,000 different ball drills during practice on catching balls over your shoulder, you know, whatever. But at some point, it's just, a, you know, an individual ownership of stepping up and saying, you know what, the ball's not touching the ground after it leaves the quarterback's hands. And, and um, you know, the teams that, and the teams that, and the players that develop that mentality usually end up a lot of success in the passing game. And, and that's, you know, we've got to find that. I mean, that's just, we are not going to have success over the next four weeks unless we figure that out. Going against a team that's last in the Big Ten in uh, rushing defense, they're 109th nationally in that category, giving up an average of over 222 yards per game against Michigan State, Ohio State, and Illinois. They've given up an average of 265.8 yards rushing per game. Now, you would think with Bullock and Garmin that they could get the running game going well enough to have the play action really be effective in this kind of game. Yeah, and that's, you know, at some point, if we don't have that, if say, say, you know, say we're not having, a, say we're struggling running zone, at some point, in my opinion, you know, you'd like to just see him go like we did against Pitt last year and just scrap it and say, you know what, let's go empty, let's go four wides, and let's throw this thing all over the yard. You know, let's let's see if they can match up and guard our four or five guys out in the route. You know, I think our protection has been, you know, for the most part is pretty solid. I think where we have problems is, you know, when they're bringing seven or eight or they're bringing, you know, you know, zone blitzes where they're dropping ends out and, and bringing, you know, guys off the edge and, and we're not recognizing that. But, but ultimately, you know, it's a lot of times, you know, you can run the ball to set up the pass, but a lot of times you can pass the ball to set up the run, you know, and I think, you know, we've got to be flexible to understand, well, we're not running the ball as effectively as we want. You know, maybe let's try the other side for, you know, a possession or two and, and hit them with the occasional inside trap or something out of the gun and, and, and see if we can get a big run that way and, and still throw the ball effectively out of the, uh, you know, if you go empty or blue or two by two and the quarterback's in there, he catches the ball, he's already set up, he's looking over the field, he can see blitzes, you know, uh, and so he can find the soft spots in the zone and bang. I, I think I think Vandenberg's got a good skill set for that for that that style of offense. So, you know, I'd like to see maybe more of that, you know, periodically through the game. And I understand you don't want to get away from who you are, but, you know, but also it's good for a defense to understand that they can't just pin their ears back and say, well, we're going to stop the run and, and force you to throw play action. So it'll be, you know, be interesting to see how that all plays out in the next three, four weeks. I was listening to some of the post-game shows and the call-in shows driving back from Evanston Saturday. And a former Iowa player, former quarterback, called in and talked about how he feels that it appears that Ference is not necessarily fostering the level of competition at certain positions that would result in improvement in play at all of those positions. And he talked about playing under Hayden Fry and how Fry was always trying to make each position be a competition and was always pushing players to do better and he wasn't afraid to make changes when they weren't performing. And that the result in those situations was, including a quarterback, a lot better play. Now, you have Ferentz, who keeps saying week in and week out, James is my quarterback, indicating that he's not even going to consider any competition at that particular position, and we don't know where else that might be going on. I thought that was real interesting. Can you address that? Well, uh, who was it? Can I ask? It's Phil Seuss. Oh, okay. You know, it's, um, wow, that's uh, that's an interesting concept. I, I, I'm not around the practices. I don't see the practices, so, you know, I, so I don't know necessarily what, what goes on in the practice settings, but, you know, I think I think ultimately competition is what is what makes 
players better, you know, and, and obviously you're going to get competition on Saturdays, but the best thing you can do, in my opinion, especially in the is create competitive environment in the practice setting. So what doesn't happen is you get the, you get we call it like brother-in-law and where you, the, the defensive end doesn't go hard against you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so you feel good about your film study and then you're not getting yelled at in the film, you know, in post-practice. And But that doesn't make you better. And so ultimately, you know, what you need is you need you need Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to be the toughest days for you, so Saturday's easy, you know, or, or not as tough as it normally would be. So, you know, I guess the interesting aspect of, of that is, is that's a perception. I don't know if Phil has access to what goes on in practice because I don't, but, you know, the one thing you do want to see, and, we, and I think I was has normally typically shown this, is that they have the, the, they've shown the ability to continue to get better each and every week and usually end up playing their best football at the end of the year. You know, we're seeing a lull here, obviously, through two-thirds of the season, but there's still chance, you know, there's still time for these guys the next four games to maybe show that they've, they've got it and they're ready to rock and roll, you know, so that's an interesting perspective. I think he was specifically addressing the quarterback position here and, and just saying, obviously, you have a start. Now, there's always a starting quarterback, or certainly most of the time you have a clear starting quarterback, but unless that individual feels as if he needs to improve every day and in every game, or he could be replaced as starter by the next guy in, that there's something almost inherent in anyone's makeup where you're not going to feel quite the level of pressure that you would if there was real competition. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, and, and you know, like I said, I, I think you've got to create an environment that, you know, you're being stressed every day and, and, and you don't want you don't want people looking over their shoulder all the time thinking I'm going to lose my job or whatever, but you have to. I mean, when I was a senior, I got hurt. I missed three games. My backup, or not my backup, but my, my partner, and you know, Tom Ward, came in against Colorado, caught like eight, t- eight catches for two touchdowns. Nothing gets you healthier than when your backups start lighting it up. And, and trust me, I mean, that's when you have that kind of competition in, on games or on, on practice schedule and the practice two-hour practice time, then you know you've got to bring your A game every single rep. And that's how you ultimately continue to climb and continue to get better. And, and you, you know, you have to keep that element of, uh, of, of tension in the practice so you don't develop complacency, I guess. I'm not going to ask for a prediction anymore. I think this team's too hard to predict scores. But I will ask for your keys to this game Saturday against Indiana. Well, our keys are just we, we're going to have to figure out if we can run the ball effectively. And if we can't, we need to then, in my opinion, go to plan B and let's open it up and start getting after them with our passing game and, and then come back to the run. And then, you know, defensively, how do we match up to this offense? How do we match up to this big play athletic offense in the passing game uh, and, and stop that and, and make them one-dimensional? And, and the, the true keys, you know, one of the hugest keys is going to be the weather. You know, if it's a, if it's a calm day and a beautiful day, it's going to, you know, it's going to play into Indiana's hands. But if it's a sloppy, windy day, then obviously I think it favors the Hawks. So uh, I think that's going to be the biggest thing to look for on this Saturday and, and um, ultimately how well, you know, Iowa's defense does early. You know, if Indiana gets some success early offensively, I think it could turn into a track meet and that wouldn't bode well for the Hawks. That being the case, the Hawks are still going to win. That is good news. That is good news. Venrick Mark, who has two punt returns for touchdowns this year, is back in the Northwestern special teams coming up with a huge play. Tyrus Jones able to break through to block the punt. And Tyrus Jones right down the center of the the offense for Iowa. It's just a mistake. He's just unblocked. He does a terrific job of taking the ball right off the punter's foot. No chance that time for Cornbrath as Jones was right on top of him quickly. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. 
Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.